please follow along as I read for us Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, with that, let me pray for us in our time in God's Word together. Lord God, I ask that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would be working in our hearts. And I pray that you would save the lost and call them to yourself. Lord, I pray you would clear distractions from our minds, clear distractions that are whatever might be weighing us down. I pray that as we sit under your word, we would be focused and attentive and that you would give us the ears to hear, the minds to understand, the hearts to receive your truth. Lord, help me to not get in the way of your message, but to speak clearly your truth. Lord, I need you. We all need you. We ask for your grace in this time as we approach your word. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Oftentimes when, when something big happens to someone, something big, something happens in their life, uh, others, they like to watch how they're going to respond. How is this good person going to respond to this big thing that just happened? Um, maybe there is a, a breakup, a boyfriend, girlfriend broke up, and everyone's like, "Ooh, I wonder, I wonder how he's going to respond. Is he going to, you know, is he going to rebound? Uh, is he, is he just going to cry? Is he going to, or is he going to be fine? Like, yeah, actually, this was great. I'm glad she broke up with me. Like, how, how is he going to respond? Or maybe something a little heavier. Let's say someone in the family gets cancer, uh, and how is the family going to respond? How is that person going to respond? How is the family going to respond? And how is the church going to respond and, and, and gather around them and support them and love them? Or maybe someone wins the lottery. Everyone wants to know, what are they going to buy? How are they going to spend their money? What, what are they going to do now? I mean, that's probably the first question, right? The news set, newscaster says, what are you going to do with all this money? Right? Everyone wants to know, what, how are they going to respond to this? When something big happens... We watch for that. Nothing is bigger than the gospel. Nothing has a bigger impact in someone's life than the gospel. 
And Paul has been talking about the response. He's been talking about the response that a true Christian has to the gospel working in their lives. Now at this point, in his letter to the Romans, Paul, he's in a very uh, imperative-focused section of his letter. A, a section in which largely focuses on commands. And these commands, they're, they're not just isolated commands, but they are commands in response to and in light of the gospel. Without the gospel being the foundation in which all of these commands are built, it all falls apart. It's all for nothing. But in light of the gospel, this is how the Christian responds. By living a sacrificial life to God, as we saw in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And Paul has already showed how the Christian, in light of the gospel, responds to other Christians, how the Christian responds to non-Christians. Last week we saw how the Christian responds to governing authorities. And here, Paul calls the Christian to live a sacrificial life to God that is rooted in love. And to live a sacrificial life that is of urgency. In response to the gospel, the Christian is to live sacrificially to God. And Paul calls the Christian to do so in love and to do so with urgency. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The response to the gospel, Christian, live a sacrificial life of love. And live a sacrificial life of urgency. Those are our two main points we're going to look at tonight. All right, your first is a sacrificial life of love, verses 8 through 10. A sacrificial life of love. And the first thing we see here is right at the beginning of verse 8, where it says, he says, owe nothing except to love. That's our first point. Exactly what he says is, owe no one anything except to love each other. Oh, nothing except to love. Paul has talked about living with others, living with Christians, living with non-Christians, living with our governing authorities. And here Paul says, do so in love. The way in which we respond to all peoples ought to be out of love. And he makes a really good transition here. In verse 7, verse 7, he, he says to give to others what they are owed. You might remember from last week. He says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You owe taxes to someone? Pay them. You owe respect to someone? Pay them the respect they are due. And so on and so forth. And he continues right here in verse 8 to say, Oh, owe no one anything because you've already paid them what they owed. Therefore, you, you don't owe anyone anything because it's, it's already been paid for. You paid your taxes. You owe it. Okay, good. You, they respect. You paid it. So you owe no one anything except there is one exception, he says. There is one exception. Love. Owe nothing except love. Why? Because we always owe love to one another. 
We never stop owing people love. We cannot outpay or, or, or overpay someone in love. We are never done loving others. This is a debt that we constantly owe that we can't ever pay off. As one scholar put it, he said, quote, Let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love, a debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full but will never succeed and discharge it, end quote. Anything else you owe, you pay in full. You pay back. And then you don't owe them anything. Done. You're good. Not love. You pay them love. And you continue to pay them love. And you never stop giving love. Now Paul says to love each other. Owe them your love. Now, who is he talking about here? Who, who do we owe love to? Well, first and foremost, I think it applies to other Christians. We're going to go in a lot of different places, a lot of passages tonight. You don't have to turn to each one, but I encourage you to at least write them down. First is John 13, 34 through 35. John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That one another is talking about other Christians. Jesus is saying that just as he has loved us, so we must love one another. It's that agape love again, the strongest form of love, a sacrificial love. This is the love that Christians owe to other Christians. This is the love that never runs out. And how does Jesus say people will know if you are his disciple? He says if you love one another. Do you love one another? Do you love other Christians in the way that Christ has loved you? Do you love other Christians in the way that Christ has loved them? Now, back in our text in Romans, I, I don't think Paul is making this exclusive to only Christians. I think this love that we owe to one another, while it does apply to Christians, also applies to loving non-Christians as well. And this is evident in verse 9 and 10 when he says to love your neighbor. Not just love one another as in those in the faith, but he's saying uh, others as well, your neighbor as well. It includes people that aren't just believers, but non-believers. In fact, Jesus did teach on this. In Matthew 5.44. Matthew 5.44. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says to love them. Love your enemies. And again, it's the same agape love. He's saying, agape your enemies. Love your enemies in this way. And even Paul spoke on this in the previous chapter. You might remember chapter 12, verse 14 and verse 20. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 20 says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Even our enemies, even those who persecute us, we are to show love to them. We are to bless them. And we do not outgrow this. We do not fulfill our, our, our quota. We, we are never done loving others, Christian or not. <clears throat> We will always owe love. Who have you forsaken 
to love. Who have you, or who has outgrown your love? Who do you no longer love? For whatever reason. Christian, let it never be. Let it never be. What if your heavenly Father dealt with you in the same way that you deal with them? No. Instead, you ought to deal with your neighbor, whoever that might be, in the same way that your Father deals with you. Unconditional, unending love. This is the greatest way that we can show love. Showing the love of Christ. And what does Christ's love practically look like? It's a giving up of oneself for another. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, talking about Christ. Paul says, who, that's Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Listen to this. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the love of Christ. It is sacrificial. It is undeserved. It is unconditional. It is unending. Do you love one another? Do you love other Christians in the way that Christ has loved you? Christian, this is the love that you are to show. The love of Christ. Write down 1 John 3.16. John 3.16 is a great one, but 1 John 3.16 is also great. John writes this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If you have received this love, then you ought to show this love as well, John says. And maybe you feel like there's no way you can show others this kind of love. Maybe you feel like others have hurt you so much that it is impossible to show an agape love to them. For those who have been hurt, for those who have been mistreated in many ways, I am sorry. And I know that it is difficult. But I also know that God is bigger. And I know that God is better. And he is gracious in giving us the power that we need to love others. Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of you. And it is his strength that empowers us to do what we need to do. Even loving others when it seems impossible to love them. Rely on the strength and the grace of God and love others. Next, he says that love fulfills the law. In verse 8 through 10, love fulfills the law.
He says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What he is saying is that if if we treat others with with genuine, biblical, Christ-like love, if if we do only what is good to others, if, if we do not do harm to others, then the law is kept. For there is no love for others in, in, in committing adultery. There's no love in others in murder or in theft or in covetousness. There's no love in, in, in others in any of that. But if we love in accordance to God's love, we do not break God's commands. If we're keeping God's law in genuine love, then we cannot wrong our neighbor. Therefore, in love, we are fulfilling the law. Really what he's doing, he's echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, 36-40. Matthew 22, 36-40. This lawyer was asking a question, he's trying to test him. And he says in verse 36, the lawyer does, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, that's Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And in a similar way, Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, look, the one who loves God and the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And here Paul lists four of the Ten Commandments, emphasizing the relationship between you and your neighbor. And the point is this, Christian, if you have a genuine care and love and concern for others, then you will not break the law of God against your neighbor. How can you? God's law is rooted in love, not in hate towards others. If you truly loved others, you would not steal from them. If you truly loved others, you would not murder them. You would not covet, and so on and so forth. So love. You want to obey God? You want to keep God's commands? Then love others. Love one another. So Paul talks about his sacrificial life of love, and then he goes on, verse 11 through 14, Talking about a sacrificial life of urgency. A sacrificial life of urgency. The first thing we see is to be urgent to live for God. We'll spend some time here. Be urgent to live for God. Verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he says. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Paul makes an urgent call to the Christian to awake. To awake from your sleep. Paul is calling them to awake from spiritual sleep. Now remember, Paul is talking to the Christian. So I don't believe that he... he, 
He's not calling these people to come to know the Lord for the first time, as in, as in conversion. He's calling the Christian to awake. He's calling the Christian to awake from their unconsciousness, from their inactivity in living for the Lord. In fact, Paul does something similar in Ephesians 5, 14 through 15. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul's speaking to genuine Christians who are spiritually lazy, who are spiritually sleeping, who are not active in the work of the Lord, who are not using the spiritual gifts, who are not serving him, who are not living for him. Those who are sleeping. And he is calling them to wake. To wake from their sleep. So I ask you. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Do you need to wake from your sleep? Some of you need to wake up right now. Are you awake to the unique opportunities that God has created for you to live for him? Are you serving him in the ways that he has created you to walk through? Are you using your time in a way that lives for him? Or are you sleeping? Christian, are you sleeping? You remember? For those who are at winter camp, I see a rise, I see a rise, I see a rise. I see some rise out there. That's good. Remember at winter camp we were talking about Jonah. The very first chapter. And what, what's happening? He's sleeping. He's sleeping down below in the ship. Right in the sleeping quarters. And the crew that's above him, they're running around like crazy, frantically trying to figure out how are we supposed to save our lives? What are we supposed to do? And there's Jonah. With the solution. Sleeping. And maybe he, he didn't even know he was sleeping. He'd just fallen asleep without, reali- without realizing it. Is that you today? Maybe you have fallen asleep. Maybe you haven't even realized it. But if you are a Christian, you have the truths of the gospel in your heart. You have spiritual gifts given to you by God. You have been placed in specific families, in specific friend groups. In specific communities to serve him in unique ways that others cannot. Do you understand that? It's not by coincidence. It's not by chance. But God in his sovereignty and in his providence has put you in those places. And if you're a Christian, he's given you the Holy Spirit and the gospel on your heart. To be a light in those places where others cannot. Are you down below sleeping? Will you wake up to the call to live for God? The time is now. There is no time to waste. There is no time for apathy. There is no time for complacency. The time to live for Christ and to live in obedience to him is now. Don't wait until you get older. 
Don't wait until you've experienced more things. Don't wait until you've grown more. Don't wait until you've learned more. Don't wait until whatever the excuse may be. The time is now. The Christian life is a pursuit of holiness. Living a sacrificial life to God. Now we must understand that, that, that there is a difference between positional holiness and practical holiness. If you are a Christian, God has made you positionally holy through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are not to pursue a positional holiness in that we would make ourselves holy and right before God. No, Christ has done that on our behalf. He lived the perfect holy life. And that holy life was credited to us when he died in our place on the cross. We are seen as holy positionally in the eyes of God. But the Christian is still to daily pursue practical holiness in that we are growing more and more into the likeness of Christ. We are putting off sin and we are putting on holiness. This does not change our our standing or our position with God. But the Christian life is still a pursuit of holiness. Christian, are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing a life that honors and glorifies God in all that you say and do? Or are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? If you are asleep, it's time to wake up. It's time to get up and start living for the glory of God. Paul says that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You understand that? What, what, what does that mean? Remember, he's talking about the Christian. So he's not talking about being converted. That's not what he means when he says salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In fact, if they already believed, then it wouldn't be conversion, right? But rather, he's talking about getting nearer and nearer to the final consummation of our salvation. Glorification. It is nearer and nearer. So salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Glorification. Christian, this ought to give you great motive to live for him and to live for him with urgency today. We have the hope of glory waiting for us. Christ will return. We will be with him one day. That is a promise. And we can have assurance of that. Should that not give you boldness to live for him on earth right now? Who cares what happens to us here? Who cares the sacrifice? Who cares the, the quote, loss? Salvation is near. We will be with him one day forever. And that day is coming soon. And if we are getting nearer and nearer to glory, then that means our time on earth is getting shorter and shorter. Every day is one day closer to either Christ's return or until we die and we will be with him in heaven. So what are we doing here on earth? Sleeping? Wasting our time pursuing the things of this world? We are running out of time. We are running out of time to fully pour 
not waste our time, but we must use every opportunity we have to live for him. Are you living for him, Christian? Are you awake? Or is it time to wake up? Now, while in this context, the call to awake is a call for the Christian, I believe, to urgently live for God right now. I do want to say that maybe there are people here who need to wake up from spiritual death. The night is gone and the day is at hand, Paul says. Christ will return. Your time is running out. Each day is a day closer and closer to your eternity. If you are not a Christian, I pray that God would awaken your soul. There is urgency to come to God. Do not wait. Come to him now. There is nothing greater than a loving relationship with God. I plead with you. Come to Christ in faith and repentance and be saved. Let this call to awaken be an urgent call for the gospel. Whether you're a Christian or not. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to Christ. Salvation is nearer than ever. Time is passing by and you are not right with God. Come to him. And if you are a Christian, do not be asleep. Do not be asleep for there is a world filled with people who are destined for hell. And you have the message of salvation. And you have the hope of eternal life. You have the gospel in your heart and on your lips. But will you be asleep? Or will you arise? Will you awaken? Time is running out. Every day is another day closer to the coming of Christ. What will you do with your time remaining? Arise, awaken, and live for the kingdom. Live for the glory of God. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Do not get caught sleeping. Remember, we are in warfare. We'll talk about that a little in a little bit. We are in warfare. <clears throat> Do you think that the enemy is sleeping? No way. No way. The enemy is active. The enemy is working. And would you be caught sleeping? Serve the Lord. Live for God. Be a proclaimer of the gospel. Awake, Christian. And live with urgency for God. In light of the urgent call to follow Christ, Paul says to put off and to put on. To put off and to put on. So first, we will see to be urgent to put off darkness. Be urgent to put off darkness.
part of living sacrificially to God. In light of the urgent call to follow Christ, the Christian must seek to put off. To put off the sin in their lives. And Paul puts this in a couple ways in verses 12 to 14. He says to cast off works of darkness in verse 12. And he says to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires in verse 14. So let's look at each of these. To cast off works of darkness. What he's saying is to put off. To, to lay aside the sin in our lives. Now I must remember, if you are a Christian, all of your sin has been removed from you and placed on, on Christ on the cross. Meaning, the weight, the guilt, the power, the eternal consequence of your sin is gone. Christ has freed you from that as he himself became the propitiation of your sins. And sin now has no rule over your life. But while the weight... And the reign and the rule of sin has been removed. The remnants of the sinful flesh still remains. And we in our earthly bodies are still sinners. Sinners redeemed by our Savior, but are still in our sinful bodies. Therefore, we struggle with sin. Therefore, we still commit sin. We still choose to perform works of darkness. And is this that we must put aside? It is this that we must cast off, he says. Christian, we now have a choice. We are no longer enslaved to our sin. So we must daily choose to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We must daily choose to cast off works of darkness. We have sin in our lives. We all do. Do not let it remain. Do not let it sit there in our lives. But be active. Be urgent to cast it off. As Jesus says in Matthew 5.30, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Are there things in your life that you need to cut off and throw away? Yeah, but I think I can live with it and not sin too bad. I think it's okay if I keep it around. No! That's not what Jesus said. And that's not what this passage is saying either. Cast off the works of darkness. Cut it off. Throw it away. Have nothing to do with it. And Paul also says to make no provision for the flesh. And to make provision implies that that there was planning ahead of time. that, That there was forethought behind the sin. Paul is saying, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't let worldly thinking, false doctrine, lustful desires just sit and stew in your mind and in your heart. Do not let these wrong and these simple thoughts and these desires go unaddressed. Make no provision for the flesh. The more we feed ourselves sin, the more we we allow sin to remain in our inner thoughts, in our inner desires, the more we, we leave sin unaddressed, the more we give provision to the flesh. What are you allowing to be acceptable in your mind, in your heart, and in your emotions today? Let me say that. What you are, what you are allowing to be acceptable in, in your mind, in your heart, has an effect on what 
you allow to be acceptable in your actions tomorrow. See what I'm saying? As in that as you, you today, as you think about it, as you allow, say, this is acceptable in my mind. This is acceptable in my heart today. You say, it's okay. And nothing's happened yet. It's okay. What you deem acceptable today, it has an effect on what you allow to be acceptable in your actions tomorrow. Make no provision for the flesh. Give no opportunity for sin to creep its head in and grab a hold of you. Sometimes we walk down paths of darkness for a while. Christian, be urgent. Cast it off. Cast off darkness. And make no provision for the flesh. And then lastly, he says, be urgent to put on light. Still in verses 12 through 14. Be urgent to put on light. We're not just called to put off. We also must put something on. We put off and put on. Put off and put on. Paul says put on the armor of light in verse 12. And he says put on the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14. So we'll look at each of these. To put on the armor of light. This shows us that we have what we need to fight the darkness in our life. God doesn't just leave us hopeless and abandoned in our darkness, but he gives us the means necessary. He gives us the strength and the grace through the Holy Spirit to fight the sin in our lives, and that is done through the armor of light. And armor is made for warfare, is it not? And we are in warfare, as we said earlier. We are in spiritual battle every day. And so we must put on our armor. We must put on the armor of light. And the armor of light is in opposition and it's contrary to the darkness that we are to put off. Sin and holiness are utterly opposed to one another. Just as light and darkness are utterly opposed to one another. So let us not put on both. But let us discard one, the darkness, and put on the other, the armor of light. Are you seeking to put on some garments of darkness, some garments of light, like I said, an a la carte kind of way of living. Like, ooh, I'll take this piece of light, take this piece of light. I'll take that little darkness. That's not too bad. Ooh, I can hide this one from people. That's pretty private. I'll take that darkness, and I'll take this light, this light and that darkness, and I'll be good. No! Instead, he's saying, rid yourself of the darkness in your life and put on instead the armor of light. Paul says in verse 13 to walk properly in the daytime. That means to not be walking in the darkness, but instead to be walking in the light. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's why we sing. I want to be in the light. Uh, Good job. (laughs) Okay. That's what we're talking about. Is walking in the light. Are you walking in the light? 
as He is in the light. We must remember, we must understand that we cannot do this on our own strength. But it is by God's Holy Spirit that He enables us to put on the armor of light. We have no strength in ourselves, but it is by the grace of God that we are able to do so. And not only do we need God's grace to do so, but He freely gives it to us. He has given us His Spirit. He has given us the grace we need to persevere and to put on the armor of light. And then Paul says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does he mean by that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ? It doesn't mean we physically put him on, okay? That'd be weird. In this context, I also don't think it means to put on his positional holiness and righteousness. Because that's something that's already been done for the Christian. Instead, I believe what he's saying is that we're to put on Christ's practical holiness and his righteousness. That in our progressive sanctification, we daily, continually pursue the character of Christ. That as we cast off our darkness, as we put on the armor of light, we are to put on Christ's likeness. That we are to be like Jesus. That we are to live like Jesus. We are not Jesus. And we are not to be Jesus, but we are to be like him. The Bible says in John 8, 29, that everything Jesus did was pleasing to the Father. Isn't that incredible? Everything Jesus did was pleasing to the Father. Christian, is that not what you want as well? Is that not what you want? Do you not want to please the Father in everything you do? And we can rest assured that positionally, that's already been done for us through the work of Christ and our union with Him. But as we live our lives, practically, we still have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to be like Him. To live for the glory of God in all that we say and do. Be urgent, Christian, to put on the armor of light. Be urgent to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And present a sacrificial life that is honoring and glorifying to God. As we close this evening, I want to challenge all of us with a call to love and to live urgently for the Lord. The Christian is to live a sacrificial life of love. We aren't to owe anyone anything. We pay everything that is due to others. Except this, love. We can never outpay, we can never overpay someone in love. But rather we are to pour love onto love. We are to continue to love. We never stop loving. Living a sacrificial life to God requires us to love others. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Maybe there are difficult people in your life to love. Ask that God would strengthen you by His grace to show them the love of Christ. The Christian is also to live a sacrificial life of urgency. Salvation is nearer and nearer every day. We are getting closer and closer to Christ's return. What are you doing in these last days? Are you living with urgency every day? Are you living for the glory of God? Are you living for His kingdom? Or do you need to wake up?
You know, I remember in high school, summer break, I had all these things I wanted to do during summer break. I want to do this, I want to do that. You know what I did for summer break? I slept in until 1 p.m. every day. <laughs> I was like, I'm sleeping. And at the time, that felt like that was a good idea. But at the end of the summer break, I looked at the list of the things I wanted to do. I said, I wasted my summer break. Literally, I slept for over half the day. Half the day. Half the day. I'm still, man, that hurts. Oh, my goodness. What was I doing? I wasted it. My summer break's gone. I'm going back to school tomorrow. And all I did was sleep. What? Are you wasting this life that God has given you here on earth to live on mission for him? Are you just wasting it? Sleeping? Ask that God would give you a desire. That he would light a fire in your soul. That he would awaken you to do his work. All of this, we must remember, is in light of the gospel. We do not love others so that we can fulfill the law and achieve this perfection or this self-righteous life and be made right with God. No, we do not live our lives with urgency so that God is pleased with us and therefore accept our lives as a pleasing sacrifice. No, Christ fulfilled the law, not us. Christ was the pleasing sacrifice, not us. And it's because of Christ's perfect life and his sacrificial death on the cross that we can be made right with God. You see, gospel Christian living is not a sacrificial life of doing. Gospel Christian living is a response to what has already been done. Christ has already done it for us. Our doing does not add to that. But out of response to what has been done, we joyfully and we sacrificially live for him. And we do so in love. And we do so with urgency. If you are not a Christian, your urgent call of love is not to live sacrificially. Your call is to urgently love God. And right now you do not love God, but you are in rebellion to him. And some of you see no urgency to turn to him in faith and repentance. You see no urgency to make him your first love. But I tell you, there's nothing more urgent. Christ's coming is closer than ever. And that statement will always be true with every day that passes by. I urge you, non-Christian, to wake up. No more waiting. Come to him with your sin. Come to him with your doubts. Come to him with your questions. Come to him rotten at the core. You may not have it all figured out. And that's okay. But believe in Jesus Christ. That he is the son of God. That he lived the righteous life that you must live. That he died on the cross in your place. And that he rose from the dead conquering sin and death. Believe in Jesus Christ. 
and come to him repentant of your sin. Asking that he would forgive you. And indeed, God is ready to show mercy and forgiveness to all who believe. Will you come to Christ? Or will you continue to run from the Lord, the Savior, the King? There is urgency today. I want to close tonight in a time of silent prayer. And for those who are not in the Lord, maybe you use this time to cry out to him in faith and repentance. There's no use in waiting. But come to him urgently. If you are in Christ, use this time to reflect on the gospel and the impact the gospel has had on your life. And use this time to reflect on the ways in which you may need to love others more and the ways in which you may need to live more urgently for God by His grace, for His glory. Go ahead and use this time for silent prayer and I'll close this in prayer in a couple minutes.